Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. It's the gospel of the Lord. Just a few weeks after the infamous blizzard of 78, my family moved from South Bend, Indiana to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was in seventh grade at the time, which was good because South Bend got 172 inches of lake effect snow that winter, which for all you humanities types is over 14 feet of snow, all of which meant that I was out of school for two weeks is nothing compared to the pandemic, but it was a lot for a 12-year-old at the time. Anyway, I don't know about you, but for me, seventh grade proved to be a difficult year. At my old school in Indiana, there were, there were well over a thousand kids in three grades. It was big, always a little bit scary to me. And, and it was lonely, frankly. It was seventh grade for crying out loud. So when my parents told me we're moving, I breathed a sigh of relief. It was a fresh start, clean slate, new possibilities. But on my first day at Granville Junior High, things weren't exactly smooth. The kid they sent me with as my shadow, the kid to supposed to show me around the school and introduce me to all the people who would soon be so important to my life, cut less than an impressive figure. <laughs> I mean, Kevin looked like he had a kick-me sign permanently affixed to his back, and the important people he was supposed to introduce me to, they sat at all the wrong lunch tables. <laughs> Moreover, my bell-bottoms and love beads, which were the height of couture, haute couture in South Bend, Indiana, had in 
Grand Rapids passed into obscurity with the extreme prejudice reserved only for recently expired and, I mean, let's just be honest, poorly thought out fashion decisions. I felt like a goofy looking kid. You know, being led around a new school by another goofy looking kid. And almost everybody seemed much more together than I was. Which, if you were to distill pretty much everybody's seventh grade experience into a movie tagline, would be just about right on the money. And my first day of seventh grade in my new school looked like it was the inspiration for every Diary of a Wimpy Kid book. It was an inauspicious beginning, I have to say. But I mean, things got better. I made friends, good friends, popular friends. You know, the kind of kids most kids secretly want to make. Uh, friends that, that give you some cachet in the social world of middle school. Kids that everybody wants to have, but most are not quite sure they're cool enough to attract those kind. So headed into eighth grade, I was, I was actually feeling pretty good about myself. I played football, basketball, ran track, but the best thing was I started to get invited to parties. You know, the parties thrown by the cool kids. So whereas, whereas seventh grade was kind of a roller coaster, much of which went through the most hellish parts of pubescence, eighth grade felt like a golden year. I mean, I still have warm feelings when I think about eighth grade. But ninth grade, ninth grade saw a whole, the whole thing start to sort of unravel. But, but, but not in the way that you might think. I mean, it wasn't that I grew a zit so big that nobody would talk to me anymore, or that I, I mean, suddenly sort of publicly announced an enduring devotion to disco or Dungeons and Dragons. It's, it, it, it's that this relatively small group of cool kids started to expand. And the definition of cool kids got bigger, letting in some folks of questionable pedigree, at least as far as I was concerned. You know, being cool used to mean something, I reasoned. I mean, they didn't just let anyone into the club. I mean, kind of waters it down if everybody gets a cool kid trophy, right? Now, I, I mean, I have to admit, I'm embarrassed by those thoughts now. I mean, how could I want so badly to keep other people out? Many of whom suffered from the same sort of insecurities, the, the same need to be liked that I suffered from. I mean, did keeping other people out make me believe that my virtues and being accepted into an exclusive club were somehow, I don't know, magnified? In other words, did, did, did it make me look better the more that other people got turned away? I don't know. But you see what I mean, though, right? I mean, being elite doesn't mean anything if everybody's elite. As Yogi Berra said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Why, why is it that humans have such a thing about exclusivity? But it makes me think of today's gospel. I mean, John 3.16, who doesn't love that one, right? I mean, if any person on the street knows one Bible verse, chances are pretty good they know the one John 3.16. For God so loved the world. In fact, John 3.16 is so common, it almost feels like we've exhausted its meaning, right? I mean, like there's nothing 
much left to be gained by hearing another sermon on this one, for crying out loud. I, mean, I don't mean it's a bad verse, but I mean, come on, it's kind of tired, don't you think? And so the preacher reads, For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so it's easy to say, well, yeah, God loves me, I believe in Jesus, I get to go to heaven, easy peasy. But people who say that this whole John 3.16 thing is their favorite passage of scripture, I'm afraid really aren't paying attention to the fine print. I mean, otherwise they might not be so happy about the story that Jesus is spinning in our gospel this morning. It appears as if Jesus is telling us that God so loved the world that Jesus came to save it, at least for those who believe the right stuff. Now, we tend to focus heavily on that last part, inferring from it that God doesn't love the world enough to save everyone, only those capable of managing to pull off the right kind of belief. And... That's really not such an easy thing, is it? I mean, I've asked this before, but think about it. Have you ever really tried to believe something? I mean, it's a pretty tough thing to manage on your own, isn't it? And read this way, it's, it's almost as if what John has to say to us is that God so loved the world that Jesus came to save all the cool kids, the spiritual head cheerleaders and football players, and that exclusive group of folks who can manage to get all the appropriate boxes checked in anticipation of obtaining God's good graces. And that reading would be even more persuasive if it weren't for the next verse, which says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But, but notice that God loves the whole world. That God's intention is to give everybody a winning lottery ticket. But Jesus, according to John, isn't here for the purpose of sorting out who gets to sit at the cheerleader and football player table at lunch. When Jesus pulls up a chair to the table, everybody's invited to take a seat. Now, at this point, you might be wondering, yeah, but, I mean, what about that other stuff? I mean, the stuff right after that. What about all those who don't believe are condemned stuff, those who love darkness rather than light stuff, all that? What about that? There's got to be a catch, right? I mean, there's got to be some way God's figured out to trip us up. I mean, that's how a lot of people think. God can't just love us. There has to be something more to it. This passage is tended to be read from the perspective of those who were already at the table with the cool kids to begin with, looking back wistfully on those who are not. And from that perspective, what we hear Jesus saying is, look, I, I want to make things right, but you don't believe in me. So, I mean, sorry, you're toast. <laughs> I mean, I tried, but I mean, you just couldn't, you're just going to have to sit over there in the corner with the other kids that nobody wants to be caught dead with. Think about that for a minute. Aren't there a lot of people who never got the invitation to sit at the table with all the winners? I mean, they didn't hear about this Jesus character, or, or what they did hear was so 
helplessly muddled by some of the knuckleheads who claimed to be on his side, that they never really paid too much attention. Jesus says that he came for the uninformed and those put off by hypocrisy too, right? Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But then we get all of that whole part that has traditionally taken the ultimate responsibility for the salvation of Jesus and put it squarely back on the individuals. Those who believe in Jesus are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, it's not God who saves you, but you who save yourself by managing to believe the right stuff. Or, or, or perhaps put differently, God can't save you unless you get your beliefs all squared away. But, I mean, that really doesn't sound right when you say it that way, does it? There's been an emerging school of interpretation in, in New Testament studies over the past 30 or 40 years that suggests that we've been reading this whole belief in Jesus stuff or faith in Jesus stuff incorrectly, putting, putting too much emphasis on the individual's ability to believe in all the right stuff. Grammatically and theologically, it is perhaps better read the faith of Jesus or faithfulness of Jesus. Let me try it out. For God so loved the world that God sent the only Son so that by the faithfulness of the Son, no one may perish but have everlasting life. In other words, God sent Jesus for the whole world, not just for those who happen to have found themselves born in the right place and the right time, capable of managing to believe all the correct stuff. Let me try it another way. Let, let, let's just say that a mother took her children out in a boat. She's got a lot of children. And the kids start monkeying around. And she says, knock it off or something bad's going to happen. And sure enough, the kids don't knock it off. And they find themselves having fallen overboard and awash in the stormy seas. The sky's blackened, little heads are bobbing up and down. Now let me ask you this. If you're the mom, what do you do? Well, I'm coming to get you all out of the sea. First, though, I, I need to make certain that you believe I'm your mother and that I can do this. And if you can't manage that, well, pfft, I guess you're out of luck. And so mom has a private interview with each of the imperiled children before she pulls them back to safety. And finally she says, look, I, I've gotten all those I'm going to get, and the rest of you are so evil, and you're, you're just going to have to stay in there. Well, I mean, I hate that for you, but I can't save you until you get your beliefs sorted out. Now, if you're the mom and those are your kids who are in danger, don't you just, you know, pull them out? Maybe work out your relationship problems later? And can't we assume that if God is a parent, then God's at least as good a parent as we are, I mean, Jesus says that God so loved the world that Jesus came to yank the world up by the collar out of an angry sea. Are you sure he meant the whole world? I mean, surely just Jesus didn't mean everybody, right? No, yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. 
And that's where I think the real problem lies. I mean, I like the idea of Jesus going the extra mile to snatch me from the drink, but I mean, come on. <laughs> there, there are a lot of other people out there who still, you know, love the wrong people, uh, who have the wrong skin color, who live in a, the wrong part of town, who, who didn't have the good sense to be born citizens in this country, who, who deal with mental and emotional demons that most of us can't imagine, even in our worst nightmares. And so... You know, I mean, uh, do we really have to make room for everybody? Do you know what I mean? I mean, I like the idea of being invited to the party with the cool kids, but you can't just invite everybody. I mean, if everybody's got a Tesla, then driving a Tesla ceases to make me part of some exclusive club. Have you noticed how many people think that the table is too big, that, 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 that we've got no business telling everybody that they're welcome. I mean, they say, well, of course everybody's welcome, just as soon as you get your beliefs straightened out, which translated generally means just as soon as you promise to believe all the stuff we believe, to hate all the stuff we hate, and to exclude all the people we exclude. I mean, I'm not sure quite how to put this, but no matter how systematic your theology, that's not Jesus. And this is what I think Jesus is getting at when he starts talking about those who hate the light, who love the shadows because their deeds are evil. See, I, I don't think that he's talking about all those folks still drowning in the stormy sea. I think he's talking about all those winners already up in the boat who are grumbling that the people not yet in the boat are drowning because they made evil choices. Hollering at the people in the water that they're not welcome in this boat without a rigorous program of self-improvement meant to make them finally acceptable to people like us. Because there are people who are pretty well convinced that if those people are invited to the party, well, then it can't be much of a party worth going to. And you remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember what happened when the son came home after completely disrespecting his father? Father grew through this good party for him anyway. And you remember his steady, reliable, older brother, the, the, the one standing behind the wheel of the boat? Remember, remember how he reacted? He heard about the party and he stood outside in the dark pouting, refusing to go into the party because he didn't have a line item veto over the guest list. Did you remember that? In fact, Robert Farrar Capon once said that hell is standing outside the party in the shadows while the host stands eternally begging you to come inside where it's light. Well, here's how Jesus says it. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come into the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus announces that a party's being thrown in the light. <coughs> a party that the whole world is invited to. I mean, even those people, the cool kids, are convinced don't have any business being there. 
Are you sure he meant the whole world? I mean, surely Jesus didn't mean everybody. And that seems unnecessarily generous, don't you think? Uh, yeah, yeah, the whole world. And no, I don't think it's unnecessarily generous. I I'm just going to tell you, it's a, it's a good thing for a lot of people that God doesn't let me exercise my understanding of just who God ought to be showing generosity to. <clears throat> but here's the thing. I also know that it's a good thing for me that a lot of other people don't get to have a say over God grabbing me by the back of the neck and yanking me up out of the angry sea. I mean, if, if it were up to some people's conception of God's generosity, I'd be in, in a lot of trouble. I mean, I know. I, I've read the comment threads. Are you sure you meant the whole world? <clears throat> yeah, the whole world. Surely he didn't mean everyone. Yeah, everyone. To people who love to be the only ones at the party that may come as a depressing announcement. But if you happen to be wandering through life wearing bell bottoms and love beads, <laughs> that might just be the best news you've ever heard. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.